0: you are listening to an Elam Christian Center podcast we hope that you are inspired encouraged and empowered by the message you are about to hear hey good morning everyone great to be with you today hope you're comfortable up there in those new seats up there I was just talking with pastor Steve during the week about the sounds that we have lost uh, in the morning service and uh, one of the sounds was with our mezzanine floor and the banging of the seats when people got up and down. The the new seats don't bang, okay, so that's really good. The other sound we miss is the clicking of the folders. We used to have our sermon notes and folders, and so you hear click 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 when the sermon was over. Everyone knew it was time to go home in a few seconds, so they're really really happy with that sound. <laughs> that was really good. Yeah, great to be with you guys today. We're doing a series on the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus, throughout his life, gave uh, some short teachings, but the sermon on the Mount was a set sermon that he gave right at the very beginning uh, of his ministry. It is the only set sermon that we have that is recorded, so he must have regarded it as like really, really important. This is the one who came from heaven, the eternal word, the word made flesh, the source of all wisdom and knowledge. This is the mind of God, and he starts with a blessing. Now remember the last verse of the Old Testament, it talks about a curse. Uh, so Jesus opens up the sermon on the mount and he starts with a blessing Matthew chapter 5 and verse 1 he says now when he saw the crowds he went up on the mountainside and sat down his disciples came to him and he began to teach them saying blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth, and so it goes on, and it continues uh, over from chapter 3 right through, and then in chapter 7 at the end of the sermon, uh, in verse 28, it says these words, it said, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, because he taught as one who had authority, not as their teachers of the law. The religious leaders thought that they had a righteousness before God uh, based on religion, based on keeping laws. If they kept certain laws, God was happy, they had a righteousness there. They thought they were a blessed people of God because they kept uh, these laws. And even today, we find that the Jewish people are very strong on keeping the law. And uh, I remember just pre COVID, I went on, Marilyn and I, we went on a tour party to Israel. And we arrived a few days early before the rest of the team. So I think it was a Thursday we arrived and we were in the hotel up on the uh, 11th or 13th floor up around there somewhere. And um, on the Saturday morning, we went down to uh, have breakfast. And so we got into the, the lift. The lift opened up. We got in. And uh, then it went down one floor to the 12th floor, opened up. Nobody got in. Went down to the left floor, opened up nobody got in went to the 10th floor opened up it did this every floor all the way down to the very bottom by the time we got to the ground floor like i was annoyed and uh, so i went to the reception and there was a man there He is dressed in all his jewish gear reading his scriptures and i said sir you have a problem with your lift it's stopping at every floor he said to me that is the sabbath lift <laughs> saturday is the sabbath they keep the Sabbath, make it holy. And so they had the floor, if you, do, you don't do any work on a Sabbath, you don't turn the stove on, you don't use electricity as such, uh, you rest on the Sabbath. So they had programmed the lift so that you did not have to push the button and engage electricity on the Sabbath day. It was all pre-programmed, and so it just worked its way down. And so we learned our lesson after that. There were two lifts. there was One was a Sabbath lift, and one was a non-Sabbath. So we took the other one in the future. I'm just glad I weren't in Singapore or somewhere up on the 30th or 40th floor. It would have been like a really, really bad... So Jesus comes along and teaches that getting right before God does not start with outward things like keeping laws, but it's internally with the heart. And uh, if you get the heart right, then everything else will follow. And he says this, if you do this, then you will be blessed. Some have translated this word blessed to mean happy, uh, but this is only part of the meaning. It is a lot more than that. Uh, There was a survey done in America. They asked 52,000 Americans, uh, what will it take to make you happy? And most of the answers said their happiness would depend on circumstances rather than issues of the heart. For example, they would say, uh, I will be happy when I get out of school. And then I'd say, well, I'll be happy when I get a job. And uh, then I'll be happy when I get married. And uh, then I'll be happy when I get a divorce. or. Then they said, I'll be happy when I have children, and uh, then I'll be happy. And it's interesting, right after that, it said, uh, I'll be happy when the children leave home. And uh, then when I retire, then I'll be able to be happy. But the Bible teaches us that true happiness, Christian happiness, is not a victim of circumstances. It is not something that you have done, but it is something that you have within. God doesn't promise things. God promises only that I will be happy with you I will be with you and so because of this as circumstances change the devil cannot come and take away your happiness because God will be with you some people like to change city or change country so that uh, they can escape their problems you know they think well I'll go to Australia and I'll make a fresh start in Australia the problem is they take themselves with them and (laughs) The most popular belief about God in our western version of Christianity is that God wants you to be happy above all else. God wants you to be happy. I would love with all of my heart to be able to tell you that above all else God wants you to be happy. The belief that above all else God wants to be happy you to be happy in your life, God doesn't want any bad things to happen in your life, sadly is not true. If you believe that, then you start down the road of a whole lot of other misbeliefs let me show you what I call a theology of happiness. If you believe that God's supreme goal is your happiness, here's what eventually you will start to do. Number one, whatever makes me happy must be right. Whatever makes me unhappy must be wrong. Number two, we start to believe that discomfort, delay, risk, suffering, inconvenience, obstacles, can't possibly be God's will for us. In other words, if something isn't going right, then this is not God working in my life. And then number three, without knowing it, I begin to worship the false gods of money, comfort, pleasure, and things. If I believe that above all else, God wants me to be happy, then one day I will worship the false god of comfort, money, pleasure, and things. I will think, wow, when something good happens, God is blessing me. When something good happens, I'm blessed. I get a new car. I've been blessed. I get a new house. I've been blessed. What about the person who doesn't get a new car or doesn't get a new house? Are they not blessed? See, here's the problem. When we believe that above all else, God wants us to be happy, suddenly we are forced to believe that God exists to serve us. We have to understand God does not exist to serve us, we exist to serve God. If God is there to make us happy, then suddenly we reduce the great creator, the sustainer of the universe. The holy one the alpha the omega the beginning and the end we reduced him to some sort of cosmic vending machine if i put my money in if i do the right thing i put my money in and press a button i've done my part and then the machine must do exactly what i've asked it to do so literally without knowing this is what we do we reduce god down to some kind of formula we say god i said my prayers i went to church I tried to do good things. I tried not to do bad things. I put a little bit of money in in the offering. I helped the old lady across the street. I didn't run over the neighbor's cat when I could have. And, you know, I did all of those sort of things. And therefore, my headache should go. The girl should go out with me. I should get the job. I should get that dream house. Because I put my money in and I press the button. And God, you should do exactly as I want you to do. And here's the tragedy of this misbelief. So many people end up walking away from God well, completely the wrong reasons because of unbelief they say things like well I tried church but it didn't make me any happier I tried religion but it didn't work I tried the God thing I even went to a life group I read the Bible for a little while but I still have cancer my kids are still rebellious and I'm not better, any better off financially I tried religion and it didn't work if you believe that God exists to make you happy and then you're not happy It forces you to believe that in some way God has failed, but God didn't fail. We started with the wrong beliefs, and it led us to a whole lot of very dangerous conclusions. I'll tell you right now, I do believe that God delights in your happiness. I believe that. I believe it brings some joy, just as any parent, when their child does something, and it brings, you know, something good, it brings joy in their heart, doesn't it? If my grandchild, uh, child, one of them, is playing rugby and, 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 and goes down and, and scores the winning try just on, right on full time and, and everyone's cheering him and he's happy and I'm happy, but then if he goes and badmouths the opposition team, he tells them they're a bunch of useless so-and-sos they don't know how to tackle, and I think, whoa, his happiness is no longer my priority. There is a greater problem here that needs to be addressed, a deeper problem and many of us us treat we treat god like this hey he should be happy for us no matter what and then we have bad attitudes and to everyone things just don't add up god does not want us to pursue happiness god wants us to pursue him we don't pursue him for this byproduct of happiness we're not pursuing him for what he's going to give to us we're pursuing him for who he is and that alone Jesus taught that the sort of source of real happiness and lasting happiness is what we call the Beatitudes. Jesus gives us here great, uh, eight characteristics of blessed people. His highest calling for you is not your happiness. God's highest calling for you is that you be blessed. The blessing of God is that we don't walk through life alone. When you're a teenager, God is with you. When you get married god is with you you start out on your career god is with you as you struggle with children and finances and trying to pay the mortgage and god is with you as you get a little bit older and maybe as uh apostle paul said the outward man is perishing we start to have a few health issues and things like that god is with you when you get to the end of your life god is with you that is the promise of god remember moses and uh, God said to Moses I'll send an angel to go with you he was annoyed with the people because they were rebellious he says I'm not going to go with you I'll send an angel to go with you Moses understood this he said no unless you go unless you go with us we're not going anywhere we're staying right here he realized this is the most important thing the presence of God that God is with us that is the promise of God to us that he is with us happiness is based on happiness the blessed life is based on god's goodness and his presence in fact the greek word that is translated the word blessed is the word makarios and it means supremely blessed or can literally be translated more than happy god wants you to be more than happy when god wants you blessed it doesn't mean you won't have a bad day doesn't mean that your kids won't fight doesn't mean your car won't break down doesn't mean that there won't be times of mourning in your life these things happen what it means is that you will experience the goodness of God and the presence of God in the middle of some of the difficulties of life your happiness and his blessings are not based on a perfect pain-free life God never promised that in fact God said in this world you will have problems remember you used to have these little promise boxes I don't know if they still have those things, didn't we? We used to have them when we, when we were younger. You'd, you'd buy a promise box and there were all these verses were, were rounded up and, uh, and, and in this promise box and you'd have a pair of a tweezers would come with it and so you would pull out a verse for the day and they were all good verses. Every verse was a good verse, like this verse was not there. In, you go to the promise box and you pull out a verse, in this world you will have trouble. That verse was not in the promise box, I tell you now. <laughs> but Jesus says take heart I have overcome the world see we're looking for this pain-free perfect life and if we don't have it we start to blame God but the reality is God wants to be active in our pain-filled life because we live in a sinful and broken world stuff happens and we experience that even though we're Christians what I'm talking about is that trusting God even when it hurts I don't need to trust him in promotion I need to trust him when there's a downturn when there's a layoff, when there's a crisis, when there's a problem. I trust him when I don't understand what I'm going through. I don't understand his methods in my life, but I trust him for the outcome. Just because you're blessed doesn't mean you're not going to have trials. Doesn't mean that you're not going to feel weak. Doesn't mean that there's not going to be storms in your life. In the middle of the storm, you can still be blessed. What is that blessing? It's a supernatural blessing peace of god that goes beyond our ability to understand or comprehend is the peace of god that will guard our hearts and our souls and our mind in christ jesus and some of you today you may be in the middle of a storm you may be going through a time of grief but in a moment there's something that happens within in that moment you just know that in spite of all you're going through you suddenly recognize I trust Him even though I'm in the middle of the storm. There's something inside of you, even though that your heart is broken. There's a sense inside of you of, of peace that that God is with you. See, you can be in the middle of a trial, a trial that you would never choose to go through uh, on your on your own. Yet for some reason, there's a presence of God that you are sensing inside of you that has given to you a joy unspeakable. See, it's what the Bible calls it, it's a joy that wells up from deep within our soul and people are saying how can you go through that and still still be so joyful still be so positive how how can you get go through that struggle and you're like i don't know it can only come from god there is something inside that can only come from god in fact those who are mature in christ recognize that you can actually rejoice in sufferings and rejoice in trials because you know that they are developing a perseverance in you James said that didn't he, James chapter 1 and verse 2 he said consider it pure joy my brothers and sisters whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance let perseverance finish its work so that you you may be mature and complete not lacking in anything. See when you've been through enough trials you, you, you recognize I would never choose them again but I am who I am today Because God has taken me through some stuff. God has allowed trials to come into my life. God has allowed suffering to come into my life. And through that, he has done a work of conforming me into the image of Christ. When I walked through this, I knew him more intimately. When I walked through it, I knew him more faithfully. I experienced the goodness of God in a way I could never have experienced if it had been just a good day. I found his goodness on a day that I would not have chosen. It's a blessing of God let me just wrap this up and give you three points if you want god to bless you you have to come empty if you want god to bless you you have to come empty the key is for being blessed is to come empty before god blessed or blessed are the poor in spirit blessed are those who mourn blessed are the meek the word meek here does not mean weak meekness is not weakness okay sometimes we confuse the 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 two here but the difference between a meek person and a weak person is that a weak person can't do anything they're in a situation they're just not able to do anything they're too weak but a meek person is able to do something but constrains from doing that see weak uh, meekness is a power under constraint Uh, the picture the bible gives here of of a powerful stallion uh, and and it's highly trained it is powerful and the, and the rider is sitting on it and, and 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 the horse is like there and it's just waiting and waiting just for the master the rider's on it just to give it the slightest twitch of the rein and and it is off you know doing the will of the master that is the picture of meekness that we have in the bible here it is a power under constraint it is your nothingness that attract that is attractive to god it is your void it is the vacuum it's the submission to his authority that is attractive to god it is not your stuff. it's not your degrees it's not your money it's not your fancy house it's not your self-sufficiency it is that void that is somewhere deep down in your soul that hey god i need you you've got to be empty enough to have a faith experience jesus wants to teach us to not just to walk on concrete but be able to walk on water You have to be empty enough for God to get your full and get his full and undivided attention. Remember the story about the woman and the prophet told her to go and get some empty containers. And um, he said, in order to have your miracle, don't bring me half full containers. Don't bring me third full. Don't bring me three quarter full containers. They need to be empty containers for you to have your miracle to be eligible. Let me ask you, are you empty enough? See when it comes to your relationship God if, if you've got a plan B if you've got some sort of backup contingency there some some plan if you've got a plan C that if that doesn't work I'm going to do this you're not empty enough God says he wants us to bring uh, vessels to him that are empty God values the most not when you're full not when you're overflowing Not when you've got all this creative ability and and, and energy and input that you're going to put into it. God values the most when you're empty. And if you want God to fill you up, you've got to come empty. If you want God to bless you, you've got to come empty. If you want God to help you, you have to come empty. If you want God to deliver you, you have to come empty. This widow woman, she she picked up the pot and she began to pour. And in the story, it's interesting. uh, The capacity to fill the containers was not dependent on the pot that was pouring but it was on the emptiness of the vessels that were there to be filled if you want god to bless you you've got to come empty if you want god to bless you you have to change your focus in fact in psalm 37 verse 4 david said this he said he said that we are to delight in the lord delight in the lord and he will give you the desires of your heart that that word delight means to enjoy the lord it it carries with that idea of being soft and pliable before god in in other words as we seek god as we enjoy god seek first the kingdom of god and then all of these other things all these things that we so often spend time chasing after all these other things will be added unto you but it's seeking first the kingdom of of God. As we're pursuing God, we're not pursuing happiness. We're not pursuing things. We're, we're pursuing God. And as we're pursuing God, I find that I'm enjoying God. I'm becoming soft and pliable. I'm meek. I'm ready to respond to the command that he instantly gives to us. And he's given me his desires. I'm now praying, not my will, but thy will be done. I'm now praying that suddenly I'm t- God will have his way in my life. Suddenly I'm living a very blessed life it's a blessed life, it's not the perfect life, it's not the pain-free life, but it's something better than happiness, it's a joy unspeakable, it's peace when I'm troubled, it's his supernatural strength when I'm completely weak, it's supernatural life when I need a miracle. Then the third thing I want to suggest, if you want God to bless you, you have to change your attitude. They say in flying, in in aviation, and I know nothing about flying. I just read this while I was preparing. It said, your attitude determines your altitude. So when you're flying, the attitude of the plane depends whether it's going to go up or whether it's going to go down. Oh, that's so true of life, isn't it? That is so true of life, depending what our attitude is in life. You know, has anyone told you that your attitude stinks? Yeah, we probably all had that told to at some point in our, in our life you know we all have struggles and for, for some of us our attitude is a big issue see one thing you should be aware of is that your attitude is your altitude the way you conduct yourself is, is, is critical. It plays a big role in, in, the, in, in determining the direction of your life and will take and whether you achieve success in your life. Your attitude is so important. Having a good attitude will get you anywhere. It, 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 it will affect your personal life. It will affect your career. It will affect your health. It will affect your relationship. It will determine your walk with God. What is your attitude like? It will point you in life. It will point you in the direction that your life will take. But I'd like to say that your be attitude determines your altitude. Your be attitudes, all of the be attitudes are dealing with the inner life. They deal with your attitude towards God. They deal with your walk towards God. They deal with the awareness of the inner presence of God in your life. God wants you blessed. He wants you more than happy. But the real promise from God is not blessings. The real promise from God is I will be with you tapping into his goodness, knowing his presence, so that no matter what, and in everything, God is working together for good for those who love him and accord, according to his purpose. Amen, let's pray. Father, I just pray, oh God, Lord, that as we look at these beatitudes and we look at the desire that you have, oh God, Lord, it's not just to bless us with things. Lord, we know that you do bless us with things, but your, your desire, your heart, is that we might know you is that we might know your presence, is that we might walk in relationship with you. Lord, that we might know your presence even in the struggles and even in the difficult times, even the times of sickness, the times of mourning, that your presence is there with us. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this Elam Christian Center podcast. Please subscribe to keep hearing more life-changing messages. For more information about our church, please visit www.elamchristiancenter.org.nz.